0: Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, again, your host for our discussion of the Scottish Clans. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I come to you from a new location. And I know I've done this to you before, but this is even newer. So here's the deal. I am getting ready to start a nine-month course in Spanish at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. And so yesterday, I spent the whole day on the road with my beautiful wife, Sarah, and we traveled from Logan, Utah to Monterey, California. We got in super late kept on having to stop for those of you who are not from the Western United States let me talk to you about a place that you can drive for a long stretches of time without any gas stations and we almost paid for that early on in the trip because I didn't appreciate how much pulling that U-Haul trailer would decrease my fuel efficiency and so we made sure that before we were going across the next stretch doesn't matter how good I thought I was doing on fuel we topped off so that slowed us down a little bit but otherwise it was a successful uneventful safe trip we came like I said late into here to Monterey and I'm looking forward to learning me some Spanish if they had a course here in Gallic, I would have picked that but they didn't my wife her father is was born and lived until he was 8 in el salvador so my father-in-law is a native spanish speaker so i thought that was a good idea that wasn't the only reason i picked spanish also if you live in the western united states you have spanish speakers all around you and you have lots of opportunities to use that second language i did not want to pick a second language that i would never use so I think I'll use the heck out of Spanish. And I'm going to learn me some Spanish. So that's what I'm going to be doing for the next nine months. Now here's the deal with this. I hope to really develop this whole Scottish clans thing that I'm into because I've already, if you've been following this podcast and you've been listening to the first few parts of the, few minutes of the podcast where sometimes I share personal stuff and you don't just skip over that part, you will know that I moved down to northern Utah and to to Logan from Grace, Idaho, southeast Idaho, last August, and so I've already had to move my kids. Now, we've been there in Logan for, I don't know, that many months, and my kids have got their feet underneath them again. They've developed some social circles. They've got adjusted. I just didn't have it in my heart to just yank them out again, pull them down here to Monterey where we know we're only going to be here for nine months and then move them again. So my wife is down here with me. She's going to stay for a few days and then head back to Logan. And um, they're just going to live out their lives there. And we're going to do the long-distance family thing. And I'm going to tell you, Leaving my kids yesterday morning was a hard hard thing. That was a that was an emotional struggle if I've ever had one. I think the only other thing that came close to that before was when I left for Iraq, which arguably was a little worse. But I didn't have four kids then, I only had two at the time. And yeah, it was still hard, still really really hard. Anyway, so here we are, Monterey, California in a in a temporary in a kind of a hotel place because my apartments won't, my apartment, my apartment won't be ready for a little while, so just making up the time here. Everything's but run really smoothly. Not just the drive out here, but finding a place to stay while my apartment we wait for it to be open up. Also finding a place for all the stuff that I brought in the U-Haul down here that worked out really well. I'm I'm gonna even use the word blessed. So I don't know where y'all stand religiously. And you do whatever you want to do, because I'm a big fan of freedom. But I choose to acknowledge the hand of the Almighty in our good fortune here. So that's where we're at. And while I'd, I'm going to miss my kids dearly, it's going to leave me with a little bit more personal time than I'm used to having. Because I used to usually come home from work, jump right into family stuff, kids got to be to jujitsu and piano lessons and this and that my wife's going one way and I'm going another way and maybe somewhere in there I get a little time to study up for a podcast and then maybe I get a little time to record one that is going to change even though like I said I'll miss those kids dearly I will have a lot more time to work on this so hopefully I'm more consistent more regular with more I guess more frequent with the podcasts and these other projects that I've been wanting to uh, and I've been talking a big talk about for a long time, like monetizing the podcast, like moving the Scottish clans web uh, Facebook page to a Facebook group. All those things have been hanging out there. I I hope to, to get to, as well as doing some some writing that I want to do while I'm out here. And I I would go into that, but if I if I get those projects finished, then you'll find out about them. All right, let's start with what we want to talk about today. First of all, before I get into the reason you clicked on this episode, let me answer a little bit of listener feedback. First of all, let's go to the Podbean app, which is where I can see some of you engaging with me on that platform. Thank you so much, Patricia. She says, enjoying it a lot, and she said it with an exclamation point. Thank you, Patricia. Now... There's somebody on here named Steart, but they're not Steart, they're Stewart. And they asked me down here, how do I change my name as a follower? shows Steart, not Stewart. That is a Podbean question that I don't know how to answer for you right there, Stewart. And so, um, yeah, I don't know how. But Stewart was interested. He says, any info on the Wallace family? You know what? That would be a great thing to do a podcast on. The Wallace, because Wallace is a huge name, William Wallace, you all know about the famous Scottish patriot, and if you didn't know him before Braveheart came out, you do now, but some of you, just like that uh, song, I Was Country, when country wasn't cool, that'll date me a little bit, the fact that I know that song, but some of you knew who William Wallace was before it was a blockbuster hit thing with the Mel Gibson, and the Braveheart and all that, so good job if, the, if you were in that crowd. And the Bruces, that that whole some of those names that are very famous because of a particular person. Maybe we'll take a look at where where they were at as a kindred, since that's our particular slant here. Um, Stuart, just so you know, I did officially add the Wallace name to my list, my ever-growing list of kindreds or clans that people want to hear about on here. And I know I don't get to these as fast as you guys want to hear them. And I pray for your patience on that. Also, Whipper says, how about the mcraes Now, Whipper spells McRae M-C-C-R-A-E. Now, let me just make a quick note on that. To go back to the original Gallic root of that name, it would be... It, and I know I, I know this is a completely legitimate spelling. I'm not nitpicking somebody's family names spelling, but just so um, linguistically, I just think it's an interesting thing to bring up with you. Just just a little FYI. So Mac Ray is the original, or Rua. Sometimes it can be, it can have come from the son of the red or ruddy one, and the C was not originally part of that second portion of the name but we do that we in in these Scottish names where we've confused the k sound in Mac with the beginning of the next word so let me give you an example Macisick. Um, I had a neighbor neighbor whose maiden name was McKissick well what it is is Mac Isaac but if you're immigrating and I'm just giving you one scenario about how this might change. If you're immigrating, and maybe the immigrant themselves is not a Gaelic speaker and is in time removed and doesn't have an understanding of that native language that their ancestors had or maybe they are a native Gaelic speaker still but the person they're telling their name to in the new country that's recording this is not a Gaelic speaker and so they don't know that McKissick is son of Isaac and not son of Kissick. And so they say Mac and then K I S S O C K or something like that. That's the same thing with McRae. It's MacRae, not MacRae. This little this little uh, thing right there I just saw the name there and noticed how the spelling was and thought let's take a little learning opportunity you probably heard that before on this podcast but it's been a while since we dove into it and there you have it so that's that's the Podbean comments there we want and so whipper i did add the mcrae's to my list of clans to talk about the mcrae's do they just like the wallace they're uh, in their own sphere they're a big deal they helped keep ellen donan castle for the mckenzie's who actually owned the castle and the McRae's had the nickname of the McKenzie's shirt of mail. Pretty cool huh? We could dive into that in a future episode but not gonna have time to go into that in more detail right now. Alright now we're gonna go to the Facebook page for some feedback first one from Malab Badarni but actually it starts off by saying hello Clint Edwards I am Carol. I appreciate your podcast and have listened twice through so far. Lots of info to digest. Pause in the quote from this. That's pretty cool. Listened through twice. Twice through so far. I'm impressed. Back to the comment. I found you by accident looking for clan lands. Something new coming from Graham McTavish and Sam Hewen. Theirs will not be a podcast after all. It has become a TV show of some sort later in 2020. I'm going to pause again right there. Thank goodness I don't have to compete with Graham McTavish and Sam Hewen. For those of you who don't know, those are two of the lead actors from the Outlander series. And I, when I found out that they want to do a Scottish clan podcast, I was like, oh, brother. Well, there that goes. Because how are you ever going to compete now, here's what I've learned that really should have assuaged any fears is that, I mean, look at look at some other categories. Look at sports. How many, how many podcasts on sports, on basketball alone or hunting or these other very popular subjects, there's a billion podcasts on them, but everybody brings a unique contribution to it. And as I was listening to them, Graham McTavish and Sam Hewen talk about their their efforts or their their ambitions to put a podcast out the more I listen to them the more I learn that this is gonna be something quite a lot different and I don't think that I'm really gonna be competing with them and then I learned this and that's not gonna be a podcast at all I mean really I'm on my podcasts. I'm subscribed to several different podcasts of any one genre so I, I guess It's it'll even if they were to do a podcast and they did a really good one and they're much bigger names than mine is. Really, we all just pitch in our contributions and hopefully we come out with a more complete understanding of any given subject. All right, back into the quote here. Personally, my interest was launched from historical fiction. I turned to goot books archived stuff of Scotland and found several history books that I downloaded. Was Andrew Lang a printer slash publisher or an expert as well? Many titles have his byline. I don't know the answer to that one, Carol. You mentioned an author you appreciated by her bringing forward the history of the east side of Scotland. I can't find her name slash book in your episodes now that I'm trying to find it. You said that most historical writings lean toward the west coast and southern borders, neglecting all the goings on in the east. I would, I would enjoy reading her book. Perhaps just mention it again in a future episode. That would be great. Thank you again for your interest and dedication to sharing Scotland's intense and rich history. Alright, thank you Carol. That was a good, good comment there and I don't know about Andrew Lang, anything about him, but I can answer your question about the scholar who does work on the eastern part, and her name is Dr. Allison Cathcart. And if you, if you, I think, I think she's University of Strathclyde. I can't, I can't remember right off the top of my head, and I don't remember exactly what her title there is, but she's a a history professor of one sort or another, and what I, what I do know about her because I have read several of her things in fact she corresponded with me when I was working on my master's thesis and was instrumental in getting me some sources that really helped me out and so I appreciate her and her work and so yeah some of the her background stuff I'm a little bit unsure about but I, I am acquainted and, and confident with talking about what she studied and what she's written about and so she's done a lot of things about the when you say the east of Scotland, specifically the eastern highlands, because you could go all the way to the Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire lowlands. And and I'm not going to tell you, it's, you know, it's not there's not this line, and she doesn't go past it farther east. But it's the eastern highlands that she's generally talking about, and specifically Clan Hatton. And I've done a whole episode on Clan Hatton. And you can go back in there and, and learn more about them as a whole. But she's done some really cool research in that. She has one book that I've never read yet, but it's called Kinship and Clientage. And it's it's one of those that was designed to be a textbook. And this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. And this is, I do not believe, the fault of the professor that writes these books but the publishers, and if they can get them in, and I don't I don't know. I don't really know who's the hang-up on this, but they charge over $100 for them. It's craziness. If you had to really throw these out on the open market and people, in, like, it would rise or fall depending on people's, interest or disinterest in it, you'd never be able to sell it for that much. But if it's a textbook and it's required reading for a given history course, now you have a bunch of students who have to pay for it and they can pretty well charge what they want. And what I'm probably finding it for on Amazon is lower than what they're going to find at their university bookstore. So I haven't got too far into it, but it's... I am going to figure out how to get it out of a local library and, and read the heck out of it because it looks really interesting. But yeah, so Allison Cathcart, she's going into detail on Clan Chattan, the Grants, those clans from the Eastern Highlands, if you want to round out and complement your knowledge of what you know about the clans, complement it with what you know about the Western Highlands and Isles and the borders. Anyway, that's, that's where I would go for that. Thank you, Carol. All right, Zach Crawford says, Hi, I'm a new listener to your podcast. I'm actually listening to one of the podcasts where you are talking about the Leslie clan. I've just begun research, and I've found a lot of Crawfords. They they all are very upset about the clan Leslie and Crawford relationship. It's been said that the Earl of Crawford did not mean he was the chief over the Crawfords, the Earl of Crawford didn't mean that he was the chief over Crawfords, and that the Crawfords are a standalone house. Do you have any research or knowledge to touch on this dispute? And, Zach, that is the perfect, perfect message there to lead into what I want to study today. And, in fact, I'm going to do a three part series, at least a three part series, on this very topic that you're asking about. Now, you are specifically asking about the the you said the Leslie and Crawford clan I'm looking this up right now on my on my uh, on my computer and I'm gonna actually make sure that this is right The Earl of the Earl of Crawford it wasn't If I was correct, and I just wanted to look this up and make sure that I'm not leading anybody astray, but it was actually not the Leslies; it was the Lindsays. Now, the Lindsays and Leslies. There's it's really easy to get these two clans if you're not one of them. Now, if this is your own family, it would be harder to mess this up. But if if you're, and I'm not saying if you do mess it up, there's something wrong with you. But anyway, I call my own kids by the wrong name, but they're both two syllable L words and when I say a word I often picture the word in my head like how it's spelled and so if you're if it's the L is the anyway and they come from the same general region of Scotland what we just got done talking about was the eastern so the, both of those comments on f- the Facebook page really led into this well Eastern Scotland Lindsay Leslie but it was the Lindsays who also were the Earls of Crawford and this is a a topic that can become cloudy in a lot of people's minds when you have an earldom and then you have a kindred that is connected with the earldom, but there is the, the earl the same as the chief of the kindred? So we have the Earl of Argyle, and he is the chief over all of the Campbells. And you have the Earl of Huntley, who is the chief over all of the Gordons you have other instances, and that's this is what I'm going to focus on for the next few podcasts, where you have an earldom and it has a certain name, but then you have an, also a kindred that it has the same name, and usually there's some very strong connection there, but they're not always the same, so we can get confused with the earl of this and the clan this, and they are the chiefs and the names and the surnames and the earldoms and the clans and a big, huge soup. In your head and it's about as clear as the broth of the soup so I want to spend the next few episodes untangling a few examples of this and I don't claim that I will cover every single one of these but hopefully this will be beneficial for some of you who are interested in this want to understand it a little bit better and especially if you are today connected in any way with the clan Ross so we're going to talk about the clan ross and the earls of ross the earldom of ross has been held by different kindreds concurrently with there being a clan ross so this can get confusing so let's talk about this the clan ross so originally so ross is a territorial name it is uh, before it was a kindred name it's a it's a vast part of the Northern Highlands. It, it was originally part of Murray, the, the Kingdom of Murray, but first recorded as as separate when Malcolm, okay, Malcolm McHeth is recorded as more of Ross, okay, McHeth. Heth, H-E-T-H. That is an anglicized version of the name I. So or, and so the way that I, the Gallic name, has been spelled, in times past, is something along the lines of A E D or A E D H. And if we go back far enough, there's a very strong connection with the letter D, and a T H sound in Welsh. Whenever you find this is modern Welsh, not ancient Welsh. Mo, I mean. Not just, this isn't an ancient thing in Wales, it's today. If you know anything about Welsh and you see the two D's, it creates a th sound like in then, not like in with. So it's the voiced one. I don't know all the technical linguistic terms, but so I may have ev- one time been pronounced with a little bit of a th on the end of the name, so it'd be ith. And so that's where you get MacHeth, and I don't know, I can't tell you the whole chain of events that comes from one pronunciation and the anglicized spelling of it, And then, but but what we're looking at, though, may be where the MacHays come from. The Macai clan, Strathnaver, very far north of Scotland, very powerful clan in that realm, and I'm not going to get sidetracked by talking about the MacHays, but we have this Malcolm MacHeth, or Macai is recorded as more Mayor of Ross. And this is in the 1100s, which is a time period that's fascinating to me because the kingdom of Scotland is taking shape still in the 1100s. It, and actually, will for, it is, it, the 1100s will not see Scotland come to what it will become. But 1100s, famous people in this time period, Fergus of Galloway. We talked about the the Gallic clans of Galloway. Summerlid, the ancestor of the McDougals, the, the MacDougals, the MacRories, and the MacDonald's, uh, who were kindred, part of the same cultural group, probably cousins to each other somehow. So in the 1100s, we got this Malcolm MacKeth or Mackay, and he's the Mormere of Ross. Mormere was e- equivalent to what it was later... The name was changed to Earl, okay? It was a very, in the Scottish peerage, very high up position. All right, so when it comes to a kindred that is known as Ross, the founder is a man named Fercher Obiolan, nicknamed Mac Antagart, which means son of the priest, as his father was the lay parson of Applecross. On the west coast of Scotland, opposite Skye. Okay, Ferker MacIntaggart or Obiolan was the f- was a family name. The obiolons were the heredi- they had had a red- hereditary position there in Applecross. Now, and I'll give you a time period for for him real fast. I th- and I believe we're going back to this s- similar time period, eleven hundreds. This Ferker. There we go. Sometimes you see his name spelled as um, Farquhar It looks. If you're not used to these names, it looks like Farquhar. F A R Q U H A R. But it's it's the Gallic name Ferker. All right. So he. Received royal grant the land to the lands and title of Mormear or Earl of Ross from 1223 to 1251. So I'm glad I looked that up and I could tell you the correct. Cause it was not 1100s. It was the first half of the 1200s. Okay, so this is the man. Now he's keep in mind he's not the first obiolon. and this is a really interesting concept of somebody in Scotland going by the O last name, which is usually an Irish thing but can be found in Scotland and if you want more information on this go back to the episode on Mac versus O and why that's different in a lot of the work that John Bannerman has done on that topic. Okay. So Fercher of there was a rebellion in Ross and Murray and in behalf of the king Fercher suppressed this rebellion. Now, in order for him to have accomplish this, he had to have a strong base of power in the region to include a powerful kindred around him. So he's not some guy that just comes from nowhere, no position, rank, title, anything like that. He was also, he's already, before he became the Earl of Ross, a force to be reckoned with. And in suppressing the rebellion, he actually cut off the heads of the leaders of the rebellion and presented them to King Alexander II isn't that interesting so in response for this he gets rewarded eventually not immediately at the moment but eventually he gains the earldom of ross so now we have ferreker the representative from the obiolan kindred and he becomes the earl of ross and so eventually somewhere somewhere in this time period between the first half of the 1200's and 1372, and I'll tell you why that's important in a second. Somewhere in that time period, this kindred descended from Ferker dropped the Obiolon surname, or title, or designation, and adopted Ross, which would come from the territory. And this is a very common thing, people adopting as a surname, or a title, or designation, which would turn into a surname, the... That, that where it comes from the tide or the land, the region where they're where they're out of, okay. Why thirteen seventy two? In thirteen seventy two, the earldom passed through an heiress to the Lesleys. Okay, now we are talking about the Lesleys, the Lindsays. That will be for one of the next couple of episodes, talking about earls Earls of Crawford versus the Crawford kindred. So Lindsays that's later. The Lesleys, the Lesleys marry into this family, and eventually, through this heiress, the, the Earl of Ross does not have a a male to take the earldom. And so the Lesleys get the earldom. So you have the Lesleys, who are the earls of Ross, but they are not the head of the kindred of Ross, who have who have taken the Ross as their designation for the kindred. We would later become a surname. All right. So this is kind of important to separate here. So we see when the split happened. We see the the title, the designation of the of the earldom become a surname in a certain within a certain time window. And then we see the split where the where the earldom and the kindred are not the same. And 1372 is the official year where that happened in this case. So the Leslie's power base was in the northeastern Scotland, like I mentioned earlier. But they held this title of Earl of Ross until 1402, when the male line again failed and passed through an heiress. Okay, the problem was that there are two claimants to, the throne, or to this earldom, and this is how we get the Battle of Harlan, 1411 which I talked about in episode 12, on the, and it's titled The Battle of Harlaw. The battle was inconclusive tactically, but the Lord of the Isles went back home, and the title went to the Stuarts. So it kind of looks like the stewards win right then, but eventually the McDonald's, the Lord, the Lord of the Isles, were to gain the title around 1424 and held it until 1470. So it looks like... They eventually gain the upper hand a win because they get the, the Earldom of Ross against the Stuarts. Stuarts got to hold it for a little while, but then the Macdonalds get it. Well, until they were caught colluding with the English to conquer Scotland and forfeited the title. Not just the title of Earl of Ross, but this eventually cost them the title of Lord of the Isles. From then on, the Earldom of Ross was in the hands of the Stuarts in one form or another. Now, Macdonald. The McDonnell inability to effectively execute their will without physically invading the area and showing everyone who's boss, since they div- didn't have a kindred presence strong enough there. That's, that's telling. All right, It's one thing to hold the title or hold a charter for land, meaning you, you legally own that land. But it's another thing to enact your will in that land if you don't have any kindred ties to there. We see this happening all over Scotland. This became a problem for some of the Campbells when they were to acquire some of the Macdonald lands. But everybody there is loyal to Macdonalds and not to the Campbells. And in, any, in every case, this wasn't a problem where they acquired Macdonald land, but in some cases it did turn out to be. And this was definitely true for the Macdonalds themselves. The Lord of the Isles... McDonald of Isla he gains his title earl of Ross but he doesn't really have a strong kin base in that area and he has to bring a force into the area to impose his will there right so this we see the clan system as being crucial to making things work in this particular region of Scotland of in the highlands these these geographically inaccessible places to the to the government of Scotland. Alright, so anyway, it goes back and forth between the Stuarts and the McDonald's. The Stuarts end up with it, so really they come out on top. Now keep in mind this whole time where the Earl of Ross moves from this Obiolon line, who've since designated themselves as Ross and not aren't going by O'Billon anymore. We've seen that go from the Obiolons to the Leslie's, then to the McDonald's slash Stuarts, and they fight about it. And the Stuarts, and the McDonald's and then back to the Stuarts. And while all that's going on, there is a kindred, a clan who call themselves Ross and have their own head of the kindred that is not anymore since 1372, who is not the same as the Earl of Ross. Okay. And this is what I'm trying to untangle here for you. In the 1370s, when, when the chiefship and the earldom split and the Lesleys become the earls of Ross, the chiefship of the clan separated from the earldom of Ross when the earldom passed to the Leslie's, and the leadership of the kindred passed to the previous earl's brother. So the previous earl, before the Lesleys had got the title, was a man named William. His given name was William. So when the Lesleys inherit this title... William, Earl of Ross, deceases his brother Hugh of Rariches, Rariches, I don't know how to pronounce it. He's he becomes the first of Balnagawan. So that was the style that was how the Rosses styled themselves the chiefs. They were Ross of Balnagawan. And they had a castle there. So this is the first Ross to become Ross of Balnagawan. He was the the last Obiolon Earl of Ross's brother. And he becomes, when the Lesleys inherit the Earl of Ross, he becomes the head of the kindred of Ross. Okay. So the clan Ross represents the line of the Obiolans in a different name. It seems that the shift came during the leadership of Ferker's descendants as the earls of Ross. So before the Lesleys inherit the title. Here are some questions that I have about this whole thing. So, once again, this this podcast is not meant to be the encyclopedia of clanship spoken by the all-knowing Clint Edwards, who knows everything about the clans. Really, I want to get a discussion started on this because as I study these things, I come up with my own questions, and often, I mean, this could be a lifelong work. I, I could make I could easily make a full time job out of this and just study this all the time. And my wife would love it so much because I would just talk to her all the time about it. And she'd just be like, Please tell me more about the clans, Clint. And I would just we just had these fascinating conversations. I'm actually looking at her and talking about her, but she has no idea. I wonder if she has her headphones in, her little Bluetooth and so I can't see him. Nope. Anyway, she doesn't. And that's why I do this podcast, because my wife's eyes glaze over when I start going into really, really deep detail about this. But you know what? Sometimes I just got to talk about it. That's why I created the podcast. It's not because I knew everything and thought you guys would be graced by my knowledge. So let's get into some of the stuff that I don't know yet. And maybe one of you can beat me to it and share it. And just like I read some listener feedback at the beginning of this, I'll read your wisdom and... I think some of you have been blessed by hearing some of that listener, listener feedback. So here's some questions I have. Maybe you know that answer or maybe you want to go get it. Why couldn't Hugh of Bound the Gown inherit the earldom? Why can't the earldom pass to the brother? Was this an area where we see clanship and feudalism as incompatible? Where feudalism has to work some way? No, it can't go. You know, the earldom, the earl is a feudal title can it not go to the brother? I don't know about, enough about feudalism as it existed in Scotland and the rules of it enough. So that's something I have to study a little bit more. Why did Hugh, the first of Bound who t- who takes leadership of the kindred when the earldom shifts to the Lesleys, why didn't he get the earldom too? I don't understand that. Next question well, I guess this is more of like a next point to make. There seems to be no attempt on the part of Hugh to compete with the Leslie's for the title. And any things I read, oh, and I always tell you the sources that I'm trying to use for this stuff. To be honest with you, I couldn't find any scholarly sources on the Rosses. So I did use a little Wikipedia, but I also used Electric Scotland. Now, the thing about Electric Scotland, and I've I think most of my comments about ElectricScotland.com in the past have been positive because they do offer a lot of information on that site. But sometimes, and a lot of times they do give where they're pulling that information from, but sometimes on the clan histories, they don't tell you where this, this is coming from. So, and not that, not that I'm telling you that because I question the legitimacy of the source but because maybe I want to do some further reading because that's, you know, that's the, the citing sources that has two, two functions off the top of my head. One is because we can look at your source and know whether you're credible or not. Like, oh, yeah, so you just watch some YouTube video done in some guy's basement and so you're an expert on this? No. So you start citing people who are like Allison Cathcart, like we mentioned earlier, a scholar that that lends credibility but also but at the other the other purpose is to give people some more reading so you're like where can I get more information on this Oh, I'll check the footnote oh it was from a work done by this guy called this which is published in this year I can that's enough information that I can go track this down and get some further light and knowledge on the subject Anyway, in the sources that I was looking at, it doesn't, like I mentioned, Hugh does not seem to have a problem at all. Nobody mentions Hugh having a problem with the Leslie's getting the earldom and not him. And maybe he felt like being head of the kindred was plenty. Here's another um, question that I have. When your chief isn't your feudal superior, who are you loyal to? I imagine a clan chief is subordinate to an earl if he doesn't have a competing title or position. So the the clan Ross answer to William's brother Hugh now and his descendants of Bal-Nagowan. Does Is there no conflict because the chiefs of Balnagowan have to be local? Because clan chief doesn't. I mean, there are some pretty – when I say minor, I can mean several things by that. One, numbers-wise, they just weren't big. Two, none of them held any kind of position of influence or title or prestige or anything. They were just acknowledged by that kindred as their senior representative, and because they're existing in this cultural context, that's a big deal to them, and so they're going to follow so you can have a clan chief who futilely is not a big deal at all. So Hugh of Bound the Gown and the subsequent Rosses of Bound the Gown chiefs, were they then just loyal to the Earl? Because the Earl is a very high title. Yeah, anyway, those are just some thoughts. So, what I hope we did there, just kind of recap, I hope you understand now the difference. We've got the Clan Ross, we've got the Earldom of Ross, and at one time they were the same. From Ferker Macintaggart, or Ferker Obiolon. Macintaggart was his nickname. Hey, the son of the priest. Obiolon was the surname that his kindred used. And so, in from his time until 1372, the headship of the kindred, which came to be known as Ross, n- instead of Obiolan, and the Earl of Ross, those are the same same person, held the chiefship, held the earldom. 1372, it splits. Hugh becomes chief of the Clan Ross, and is first then sty- the first to be styled of Balmagowan, while the leader of the Leslie's. Gains the earldom of Ross. And eventually, in the very early 1400s, he, the male line also fails there. And we have two different people who had married. We have the, the McDonald's and the Royal Stuarts. And I'm not going to go into all the different people there, but they've both married heiresses. They both have what looks like fairly similar strength of claim to the earldom. So they fight it out in one of the biggest, bloodiest battles in Scotland, the Battle of Harlaw. Sometimes they nickname it Red Harlaw in 1411. They fight that out, and then it goes back and forth. So the Stuarts the didn't conclusively trounce the McDonald's and the Lords of the Isles and all of their loyal kindreds. It wasn't a decisive victory, but Macdonald ends up turning around and going home the earldom goes to the stuarts and for a while for a few decades and then it goes to the lord of the isles then a few decades later it goes back to the stuarts okay so that's the that's how the, the clan ross and the earldom of ross are related to each other that's how they're the same that's how they're not the same if you've got any questions on that, that's what I wanted to touch on today. Once again, with these podcast episodes, I'm not trying to just regurgitate the clan history on any given number of websites, which are usually just a cut and paste from the Scottish clans and families encyclopedia Romilly and Squay and... What is it? I got the book kicking around here somewhere. Yes, I did bring the book with me to Monterey. So many websites quote this book. So many clan histories just basically cut and paste from this book that I felt like I ought to at least have the book. And so, anyway, I'm not trying to just regurgitate what all these clan websites say. And I'm not telling you that I don't like these clan websites and they don't have anything good to contribute. I'm just saying you can find that yourself so I'm trying to get into stuff that's not there and unpack it a little bit and hopefully it's more clear to you so I appreciate you joining me today join me next time I haven't decided which one I'm going to do but we're gonna there's two other situations that are like this that I want to dive into clarify and you can't just listen to this episode and think, oh, that's how it works, and so that's how it works for these other situations. I'm going to talk about the Lindsays and the Earldom of Crawford versus the Clan Crawford, and also, and I think that's the one I will do next, and then after that, we'll talk about the Sutherlands and the Clan Sutherland versus the Earldom of Sutherlands and how that's tied up with the Gordons, and yeah. Anyway, that's, that's what we've got coming up in the future, so thank you for joining me today. Hopefully that was helpful. And join me next time to continue this discussion on um, earldoms versus chiefships, and where they got the same names and all that stuff. So anyway, until then, have a have a great time. Bye.